Last show, our theme for the year has been renewal. We want to make it a year of renewal. Renewal of faith, renewal of vision, renewal of hope. Renewing our mindset, that's our theme for the year. And part of that theme, we just finished a series on the book of Revelation entitled, All Things New. And it was inspiring. It was very thought-provoking, very soul-provoking to dig into Revelation and unlock that incredible book of the Bible. It's so rich with history. The imagery is so powerful. And it's such an inspiring message for Christians. Not just then, but now and forever. Revelation is awesome. It's a vivid story of cosmic spiritual warfare. And because of the style of literature that it's written in, a style called apocalyptic literature, it's really designed to stimulate the imagination. And so when you read through it, you get these incredible pictures. Jesus appears with eyes on fire and a giant sword coming out of his mouth when he speaks. And you got angels with multiple layers of wings and, and eyes all over their bodies. Satan is a vicious, multi-headed red dragon with an assortment of crowns arrayed on its heads. You got beasts rising out of this oceanic abyss and saints are arrayed in battle formation with white, bleach white robes and Vultures are screaming through the skies, shouting warnings of impending judgment, and mountains are falling apart, and stars are cast down from the skies, and the world is in upheaval. It's amazing. You know, I I have often thought that nowadays with all the uh, CGI and video technology, you know, Pixar and all the stuff they're doing with, with Marvel... If a studio with the right financial backing decided to take on the book of Revelation, it would be awesome. I mean, Infinity War would be put to shame. But then, then there's victory. There's triumph. And there's this total remaking and renewal of the world into a place where God... And mankind return. It comes full circle. They return to the paradise of Eden. That was described in the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. It's amazing. In the book of Revelation, it was written to encourage and to prepare the early church of the first century and second century for a great spiritual battle that was coming their way. In the form of persecution from the Roman Empire. Something that they had never experienced the likes of before. And even though Satan would seem to have an overwhelming advantage against this small, fledgling church. The basic truth and the encouragement was that if the Christians would just hold firm to their faith in Christ. And be willing to live it out without compromise, even to the point of death, they'll see that they would have nothing to fear. That Satan would not win and they would not be overcome. And ultimately, in the big picture, they would be victorious. 
And what's amazing, when we understand the book of Revelation as primarily something that was speaking of the experience of the church there in the first and second centuries, as opposed to the way many people misinterpret it today as sort of like a roadmap to tell you about current events and, and things like that. But what we see is an amazing prophecy fulfilled. Because the Roman Empire didn't conquer the Christian church. Amen. The Roman Empire went on to crumble. Christianity just went on to grow. And went on to flourish. And nothing that Satan could throw at that early Christian church for everything that he had overcame them. Because they did exactly just that. They just held on to their faith. They didn't compromise. Even to the point of death and Christianity just continued to spread and spread and spread across the globe. It's amazing. You know, we don't live in the first century anymore, obviously. We don't have some of those first century problems. A lot has changed. Things have changed in culture. Things have changed in politics. Things have changed in technology. But we really are in the same spiritual battle. Everything has changed. And nothing has changed. (laughs) Satan, his war, is still being declared on the church. Even though he's lost. And that's something that the book of Revelation reveals, that even though Satan's demise and defeat has been declared, it doesn't mean that Satan has quit. In fact, it has only enraged him further. It's only made him more desperate. And it's only increased his desire to ruin what he can while he still has the time to do so. And we're still living that here today. Do you still at times feel overwhelmed by what Satan throws at you in the world? Do you sometimes still feel like, wow, it's, it's, it's just massive to hold off the wave of temptation, to hold off the waves of secularism, to hold off... There's just so much in the world... That the Christian and the church is trying to push against and it just seems overwhelming. We can still feel the pressure to compromise. We still need to have our faith and our basic hope in God and God's victory in our lives renewed on a daily basis, don't we? We still need to be refreshed and revitalized by the same basic truth. That if we hold on to our faith, if we live accordingly without compromise, we can, through the power of the Lord, overcome and be victorious over anything. You know, there's not enough time to go through all the chapters here this morning that we've gone through in Glasgow over the months. But I want this to be an encouraging time and an encouraging sermon. So I'll tell you what. What we're going to do, we're just going to fast forward to the very best part at the very end of Revelation, right? We'll skip over the problems and the challenges and the chaos and the suffering. And we're just going to get to the good part, jump straight to the end, and talk about how the world will be made new one day. Thank you. And get encouraged by that thought. Do you get excited about new things? Oh, yeah. I do. I know I remember in younger years, anytime I'd get a fresh pair of trainers, a nice fresh pair of shoes, and you know, as you put them on, and you're not just walking, you're just sort of bouncing a little bit. You know? 
and I go out to play basketball, and even though I'm not actually jumping any higher, in my mind I am. In my mind, I'm just flying to the rim. Because, you know, getting something new, it, it feels good. You know, sisters, you, you try a new hairstyle, right? And there's a different way about you. Instead of walking into the room, you kind of float into the room. You know? just kind of waltz in. <laughs> Waiting for the brothers to notice, and it takes them about 20, 30 minutes, right? Because the first thing they notice is like, why, why, are you, why are you moving differently, right? Oh, it looks great! <laughs> You know, we get something new, we can't help to just feel this burst of revitalization. And I'll tell you, thinking about just the world being made new, and creation being made new one day by God, that just excites me. That just fills my heart with that need, that burst of revitalization. So we're going to look today in Revelation, look through chapters 21 and 22, if you'd like to turn there. And just be encouraged by this incredible picture of when the Lord will make all things new. So let's read in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place, God's dwelling place uh, is now among the people. And He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. You know, my first point for us this morning is that when the Lord comes again, He will bring a new order. I love verse 5. Verse 5 here, I think it might be my favorite passage in the Bible. Where Jesus is just going to show up one day, and He's going to declare in one fell authoritative swoop, That's it! I'm going to make all things new. 
And just like that, with the power of His command, it will be done. He's just going to come along to the world, come along to the earth, and one day He's going to declare, under new management. <laughs> forever. I don't know about you, but I feel like the world could use some new management. <laughs> you feel that way? Don't you feel like we could use just a whole new world? What's happening these days? You know, you don't have to go far, you don't have to look far and wide to see why it is that the world could really use some new management. You know, just looking at a couple of headlines, uh, you know, go on some news websites, BBC and, and other places like that. And you can just read for yourself. Here were a couple things that, that popped up, news headlines in the Middle East. 5,000 Yemeni children face famine. United States, couple accused of mass drug rapes. India, man held for inhumane torture of sister. London. Violent crime deemed a public health issue. It goes on and on. You know, any time that you're tempted to think that the Christian message isn't needed in the world or Christianity isn't relevant anymore, because that's something that kind of gets fed out there today, isn't it? You know, Christianity is just, it's not really relevant anymore. We're sort of past that. Anytime people are tempted to think that, all you need to do is read the news. And then you see very clearly that, boy, the world needs Christianity yeah. as much, if not more, than, than ever before. You know, the world is not all bad. There is good, there is life, there is beauty, there is love, because God made it and God created it. And His goodness is infused in it, even through the fall. But it's under assault, isn't it? It's a fight against the decay of time. It's a fight against the contamination and the rot that comes from evil and temptation and sin and death. We're always dealing with these things. But it's encouraging to know that the world will not be like this. You know, when the world is under new management, the old order has passed away. Jesus will renew life, just the way things work, in a different and amazing way. I mean, think about it. It says, no more death. No more mourning, no more pain, and the very last tears that we ever cry will be wiped away by the hand of God Himself. And then it'll just be over. And what do we have? The water of life for free. Think for a moment how much of our lives are spent, how much time and energy and resources are spent Managing or protecting ourselves from pain, death, mourning, and sadness. How much time? How much money? How many resources? How many of our life's decisions are controlled and weighed down by these factors? Uh, many of us here may know Adam and Kirsty Burr. Adam, who was here, part of the Birmingham church years and years ago. And they're up in Glasgow now. They're heroically faithful people. Amen. A little while back, as many of us may know, Kirsty was diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer. Please keep, keep praying for them. 
They're doing great spiritually. Like I said, they're heroically faithful people. But even though they've not stopped living like faithful, all-out Christians, it's really impacted their lives. They've had to move homes. They've had to get a different kind of car to accommodate a particular surgery that Kirstie had to get. It's changed their eating and their diet program radically. They spend a lot of time in hospitals, doctor's appointments, living scan to scan, taking a scan, waiting for a scan, responding to the scan. Kirsty's had to manage levels of pain and fatigue and discomfort. And of course, Adam has had to pick that up and it's had an impact on, on the whole family. The time and energy and resources spent managing those things is immense. And we all have our own versions of that. Maybe some more extreme, maybe some less extreme. But just just imagine a life that's free from all those things. How amazing will that be? You know, it also said in this passage that there will be no more sea, that the sea will go away. Now, if if you're like me, that's actually a little bit of a discouraging thought because I like being by the water. But there's something very important to understand about that image right there of the sea disappearing. And that's because in ancient Jewish thinking, the sea and the oceans were associated with this chaotic abyss out of which evil could spring at any time. If you go back to Genesis when God is first formulating order in the universe, that deep waters, that dark abyss is described that he calls order into, that's actually... the. You know, the same picture, it's this kind of this chaotic, unpredictable force out of which evil can come. And so when this passage in Revelation says that there will be no more sea, that the sea will disappear, we have to understand what that means. What that means is that God is going to shut the door once and for all to evil and chaos in the world. The door will be shut. There will be no more opening for it to come. The new order of the world will no longer have to take into account the presence or even the possibility of evil and chaos. That's the world under new management. And what an amazing picture it will be when there's no more death, no more decay, none of that to deal with anymore. What we're also going to see and experience is a whole new beauty. And that's my my second thought here. New beauty. Let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone like the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. We'll skip through a little bit of the description. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. 
The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Skip forward a little bit. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. What we get here is this amazing picture of renewed beauty. And you know, more than one time in this description, this city, this new Jerusalem, is described as the bride, the wife of the Lamb. If you've ever been to a wedding or in a wedding, then you know that it's a ceremony that's constructed around a couple of key events. One of those key events is towards the start, which is the presentation of the bride. And the presentation of the bride is one of these keynote moments. It's like, ta-da! And why is it like that? Because she's so beautiful. And everyone needs to be able to get a moment to just grasp the beauty of the bride coming down. And and that's what this is like. You know, there's no special presentation of the groom. Because we all know he's just kind of ugly. So you got the ugly groom just kind of scuffling in from the side, you know. Just kind of scuffling in from the side and standing up there. People don't need to look too closely at the groom. But the bride, Uh now she's got to start from the back. And take her sweet time walking down the aisle so that everyone can turn. And then look at the person next to them and say, she looks lovely. Right? And they're all turned back looking at her so they don't see the ugly groom looking down, amazed, wondering. And everyone's thinking the same thing. How is she getting married to him? He's so ugly. It's an amazing mystery in life. Some things too wonderful for me to understand. Amen. But... But this is what it's like in Jesus' eye. This is what it's like for the Lord. When He finally gets to create this this new heaven and this new place, it's going to be beautiful. Like a bride coming down. Renewed beauty. You know, one of the great joys of Scotland for me, uh, living in Scotland, is that Scotland is beautiful. It is uh, an amazing... It is an amazing, amazing country. And you see, even in, uh, you know, in the description here, this description of beauty, these high mountains, and then this, this, amazing, this amazing city. And the New Jerusalem is massive. It's actually, its dimensions are enough to fill the entire Middle East when you measure it out. But the beauty of Scotland is really something amazing. You don't have to go very far outside of the cities to feel like you just stepped through the wardrobe into Narnia. (laughs) You know, one of the places that my wife and I went to go visit recently is the Isle of Butte. And on the Isle of Butte, there's one of the palaces of of the Marquis, 
called Mount Stewart. And so we, we go into Mount Stewart, and you just walk into the foyer, and this is the picture of the foyer, but just sort of the second level and above, and it's just, it's just incredible. Because it's carved out of marble, and it's all different shades of, of marble. It's black marble, and pink marble, and green marble. And you have this amazing uh, array, these designs, these chandeliers. And and you look up and you see these stained glass windows arrayed in different colors, all according to the different seasons. So that way when the sunlight hits during different seasons, it'll cast different colors associated with the seasons into the foyer. And and if you look up, you you can't see it because the picture's not bright enough. But then on the ceiling, the the vault of that ceiling is actually uh, arrayed the constellations. And... And there's the stars of the constellations, and each star is actually an individual crystal that is uh, placed into the ceiling, and they have to unscrew these, these crystals, over a hundred of them, and, and clean them and polish them and put them back in. And, you know, and as I'm walking into this place, I'm thinking, wow, these people have money, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, like, this was just their foyer, you know? <laughs> I mean, my clothes is about, you know, you walk into my flat and you get about two feet of space with a coat rack. But, you know, I'm thinking, wow, this is really, this is life on a whole other level. And the picture that we get of heaven being adorned, you know, this picture of this new city, this new Jerusalem being adorned with jewels and with gold. It's not supposed to be a picture of materialism. It's a picture of beauty. The idea is that living in this place is like life on a whole other level. You can barely imagine it. The most precious objects that we have here and now, gold and jewels and pearls, are so commonplace that the streets are paved with them. (laughs) So commonplace that the buildings and the gates are made with them. That's the idea right there. Take the most beautiful, precious things we have here and think of it like as commonplace as materials that we build with. That's the description of the city and its amazing splendor. Let's go ahead and and read on. One of the beautiful things about this city, as I mentioned, is its size as well. The size of the city roughly covers the entire Middle East. And so the beautiful thing that that brings together, too, it's not just a description of physical beauty, but it's a presentation of unity, of people living and dwelling together. And as we'll read on here in in, in Revelation, we'll continue in 21 and then go on to 22, it gives us a picture as well of Renewed love and renewed fellowship. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. 
Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding each fruit, uh, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. A picture of renewed love and renewed fellowship. You know, it talks here about the leaves of the tree of life, and again, this is a picture of the Garden of Eden revisited, with the river of life and the tree of life, but it says specifically that It will be for the healing of the nations. In this new heaven and new earth, the nations are going to be bound together as one. Unity, fellowship, no more strife, no more conflict. And worship and fellowship is just an ongoing way of life. Where God and humanity interact freely and continually. And nothing will separate God from His people anymore. Now you think of this this part of the world, both then and now. I don't know that we can even recall a time in history where this part of the world was not characterized by conflict and strife and warfare. And the dimensions of the city are such that they create a cube that would boom, 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 basically fill that whole thing. Because part of that is God bringing about the healing of the nations and putting an end to all of that. And having everyone live together in great fellowship and great love. And that would be amazing. You know, it says in that description as well that there will be no temple. And the reason why there will be no temple... Is because there's not going to be a need for one. Because a temple is a place of worship. A temple is a place of communion with God. And we'll be able to worship and communion with God anywhere and at any time. You know, even now today, in the Christian era, we don't have a temple that we need to go to to get connected with God. But we still do need to get together to gather in groups at certain times like this. And the reason why we need to get together, to to gather together in groups at certain times like this, is to find a sanctuary for worship. We need to carve out the time and the space and the place for so we can just get out of the world, so we can get, get out of the noise of the world, get out of the distractions of the world, get out of the temptations of the world, and just come together and encourage one another, right? And just come together and have have a bit of a safe space where we can just worship freely, where we can fellowship freely. Where we can enjoy the love of the Lord freely without any of the noise or any of the distractions. But you see, in heaven there's not going to be a temple, there's not going to be a time for church because we'll be able to experience that everywhere at all times. There will be no need to take out a special time of the week or carve out a special place to do that. 
Because that would just be heaven all the time. Isn't that amazing? And though the city has gates, the gates will never need to be shut. Because there's no threats. Just a picture of pure peace and security. You know, it says in Psalm 133.1 how good and, and pleasant it is when the brethren live together in unity. And that term pleasant, it can also be translated as lovely. And the root word is that is something beautiful. How beautiful it is when people live together in unity. So the scene is not just aesthetic, it's relational as well. We're going to get that in heaven, but we get that a piece of that in the church, even here and now. As it is the kingdom of God manifesting itself here on the earth. You know, sometimes I can catch glimpses of my three children. In moments and on occasions, they'll be maybe out uh, in the living room, in the TV room. And you know what? They're actually getting along. (laughs) And they're actually like playing a nice game together. Watching something together. And they're happy. And they're laughing. And they're having fun. And I look at that and I think, what a beautiful scene. (laughs) It just puts a smile on my heart. And you know, the new Jerusalem isn't here yet. We're we're hoping for it to come. We know it's going to come. It's our confidence in what keeps us going. But even here and now, the scene of a great church. People getting along. Just being there for each other. Being together. Praying together. Rejoicing together. Sharing meals together. Carrying each other's burdens together. Working together. It makes Jesus' heart smile. And as we get together to do that, the idea is that it just reminds us more and more and more of what we're looking ahead to. And not just what we're looking ahead towards, but what we're getting closer to day after day after day. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, and this passage was mentioned in the welcome, uh, amen for that, it wasn't planned, that's just the Holy Spirit. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. The hope that's being mentioned there is not just some general vague notion of hope, but it's specifically the hope of the final resurrection to eternal life. And it's specifically the hope of one day, right, God just consummating heaven and earth, and us being able to dwell eternally in this incredible new creation, that's the hope that we profess as Christians. And we've got to hold to that. And the reason why we can hold to that is because He who promised it is faithful. If the Lord said it's going to happen, don't worry about it happening or not. Jesus is good for His Word. If He said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But in the meantime, what do we have to do? We have to consider. We have to take some time and thought and consideration to see that we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That we help each other hang in that fight. Hang in that spiritual battle. That even though the victory has been announced, the battle is still going on and we still got to fight it out. So how we can do it, how we can keep spurring one another on toward love and good deeds 
And goodness, don't give up meeting together. Don't do that. We need that. Some are in the habit of doing that for, I don't know, various reasons. Get discouraged or don't feel like it's worthwhile or there's, there's some issues. But, but you've got to meet together. Why? So that way we can encourage one another. What do we encourage one another with? Well, we encourage one another with thoughts of heaven. And the hope that we have in store. And we get together and we encourage one another that this, what we have and what we enjoy together, right? It, it, we don't just have it right now, but all the more as we see the day approaching. And that day there is often translated with a capital D in English translations. He's looking forward to the day we, that I just described from Revelation. The day where Jesus appears and makes His declaration and it all comes together. That's what we're working towards. That's what we're inspiring one another with. That's what we encourage one another with. But we've got to get together and encourage one another with that. Because we don't get encouragement about that thought, about that hope out there in the world. We don't get that at our jobs. We don't get that on TV. We don't get that in the media. We don't get that at the mall. We get that where? Where Christians are coming together. And encouraging one another about that. That's why we can never give up. Never give up on that. It's here. It's here that we get our inspiration revived about that. Here that we get that faith renewed and boosted and strengthened so that we can persevere. An encouraging thought that I use to inspire myself with all the time, particularly on on days or during times or weeks that are very challenging, is this. Realizing that each and every day that rolls by is one day closer to heaven. It was about a five or six hour, well it actually is six hour, seven hour car ride from Glasgow to Birmingham. uh, Because of the way that the traffic works down here in England. It's kind of nuts. you're, you're, You're looking at your GPS thing helping you realize, you know... The longer I drive, you know, the more I drive, the longer it's telling me it's going to take to get there. You know, it's like, what is it? Is, this, is England like a time warp or something like that? I don't know how it works on like the M6 and something, but it's like, I'm supposed to be getting closer, but time-wise it's telling me I'm getting further and further away. But you know, it's like being in a long car ride... And you're just trying to push through, you know? You're trying to push through the traffic. You're trying to push through some of the noise. You're trying to, you're trying to push through this and, and push through that. And, but you get to a point where you're just, you're just looking forward to getting there, right? You just want to get there. And things might be going crazy. Traffic might get really, really bad. Or, you know, the kids might be blowing up in the back seat, you know? Or you might, I don't know, have to use the toilet or something, but you don't want to pull over again. And you're just encouraging yourself with, with your thought. We're just one mile closer. One mile closer. One mile closer until you finally get there. And it's like, ah, glorious. But that's like us in life. We've got to realize every day and every week we go by, we're one week closer to heaven. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this Sunday, you're one week closer to heaven than you were last Sunday. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Now, I don't know what happened in your week. You may have had a horrible week. You may have had one of the most discouraging weeks you've ever had in your life. 
You may have dealt with pain and tragedy and you may have dealt with challenges, the likes that you've never dealt with before. And you know what? Next week, maybe that kind of week is coming. Maybe in this week to come, you're going to encounter a day. It's going to be one of the most challenging, painful days that you have ever encountered. But you know what? That day is going to come and that day is going to go. And that week is going to come and that week is going to go. And you're going to look back and say, you know what? One week closer to heaven. You have never, ever been closer to heaven in your life than you are right now. And when you're back together, that will be true next week. So whatever else may have gone on in your life, whatever other sufferings or challenges or persevering through, they all melt away with that thought. One week closer to heaven. And every time we get together as a church, we got to encourage one another with that thought. So that way we can go out and keep battling and keep fighting the good fight until that day with a capital D finally comes. We're almost there. We just need to be patient. We're getting closer. We're one day closer. One week closer. So we wait patiently. And we hope in the Lord. Let's let Jesus have the last word here. He who testifies to these things says, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And God's people said to that, Amen. Amen.